0: Hello and welcome back to Control, Alt Delete. This is episode two of an exciting mini-series that I've made in partnership with Lenovo. They provide some of the latest cutting-edge technology which I've been using recently, including the ThinkPad X1 Nano, which I wanted to tell you about because it's very light and very easy to shove in a bag if you are on the go and you are travelling again or travelling around wherever you live. It's so nice, personally, to uh, get out the house again and work in cafes, that's why I've been enjoying that. Over a series of three episodes, I'll be chatting to someone I've wanted to chat to for a long time, Natalie Liu. someone I really respect and admire. She is an author, podcaster, and the host of the Baggage Reclaim Sessions, available on all podcast apps, and also a shortcast on Blinkist as well, so check that out. She helps people pleasers, perfectionists, and relationship strugglers become more of who they really are. She's got such a great approach and she doesn't beat around the bush and I loved chatting to her. This mini-series will be all about pushing boundaries at work. We'll discuss the pros and cons of being your own boss, creating your own career ladder and the power of deep work In this episode, we're talking about creating your own career ladder, build that ladder from scratch, whether we even need a ladder anymore, whether that's changed, or whether you've fallen off your existing career ladder during the pandemic and whether you're wanting to build a new one. So it was a really interesting discussion and I really enjoyed it. Throughout this mini-series, we'll be discussing how smart technology can help us solve problems, create opportunities for ourselves, and transform the way we live, learn, and work. The tools we use are so important and we have so many now, and it's important that we can empower ourselves as passionate people who value our own health, well-being, and the world we live in and impact change for a better world. I'm so excited for you to listen to all of these conversations. I was absolutely buzzing after recording them. They were really energizing. So thank you so much to Lenovo for helping make this mini-series happen, and if you enjoyed it, please do leave a review or get in touch here is episode two. So welcome back, Nat. Oh, it's good to be back, Emma. Good to be back. In this episode, we're going to dive into the career ladder and just what that looks like now. Is it even a ladder? We will we will chat about it. Um, but I saw on Instagram the other day, a Stylist had revealed their cover of a recent issue of that magazine and it was like stairs going up and then sort of a woman at the bottom and the title was you know is this the end of the career ladder something like that and i was just like it's really interesting that we're even still talking about this because to Mm. me it's never been a ladder but i don't know whether i'm a lucky one who always knew my path was going to be all over the place and a bit squiggly and a bit messy but i do think there's a lot of people now who are graduating uni who will look to a ladder. Mm. But how, how do you think about it now? Do you think that we can make our own ladder? Do you think the ladder needs to change? Do you think the ladder needs to be scrapped? Like, what, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, the thing is, is that the ladder is just a way, uh, this ladder that we've all heard about, whether it's, you know, through our parents, through school, through the people around us, through what we see in the media. It's a, it's a way of us trying to feel as if we have control, that there's a system, that there's a way to do things. And as humans, we like to be, we like to, if, if in our ideal world, we'd love somebody to say, do this, do this, do this, and you will get to this. So this idea that you climb the ladder and you get to exactly where you want to go. Well, first of all, how do you know you're on the right ladder? What if you're just climbing the ladder to a place that doesn't really represent who you are? What if the ladder is hokey? Mm-hmm. And, and it's just because the ladder equals capitalism. It's right. not I'm some hater of that, but I think that the culture of work is actually quite toxic,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that the the ladder itself is about pushing, pushing, pushing. Do this, okay. Now move on to that. Now move on to that. And, for instance, as women, we're almost told, like again. Growing up in the nineties, it was the "women can have it all" era. So you were told well, you have to, you know, why well, you got to take advantage of these opportunities, go to uni, and then you get the job, and then when you get the job, you get the house and the car and the relationship, and then you're just supposed to have a baby. So I think that women are programmed yeah. where it's almost like you get into thirties, and even if it's not even what you want to do you've been socialized, conditioned to believe, oh, I'm supposed to want a relationship and a house and a baby and all the things because it's the tick, tick, tick box of the ladder. So then you go into work and there's the ladder there and it's like, oh, we're supposed to like want the next job and the next job. You're supposed to have your eye on that. But first of all, what if you're not even in the right career? What if you're chasing after the wrong things? What if the way that even if you are in the, air quotes, right job, what if the way that you go about climbing the ladder is destroying So. I I don't buy into, like, I very early on into my career realized that this whole ladder thing is very hokey. Uh, I remember sitting literally across the road from where we're recording now, I used to work. And I remember being in there, it was quite corporate, it was magazine publishing. And it was, you know, coming out of this whole women can have it all and looking around and going, I don't want anybody's job. <laughs> Yes. I, I cannot literally think of one person in a senior position where I go, I want to be sitting in their job one day. And it suddenly occurred to me, Oh, well, isn't this a funny thing? Because you, I, I, we are literally from childhood, we're trained, we're being prepared to become good workers. It's fascinating what it is to be human. The whole education system is about making us obedient. Mm-hmm. So that's why ladders. A really useful because it's like, well, just do as you're told and follow the ladder that people tell you to follow. It's such a scam. It's a total scam. And the thing is, then you wake up one day and you go, oh, my God, where have I just climbed to?
0: It's interesting you say that because I was always told you know when you want a promotion or you know what your next goal is if you want your boss's job or you want someone above you's job. And that is, to be, some people, that is probably true. They do actually want to get the promotion on that specific ladder. I don't know if maybe making films. Like yeah. you, you go from one role to the next and then you're like, oh, I can now make a film more properly and I'm not just assisting on the film, yeah. whatever that might be. And that's fine. But what is interesting about what you're saying is a similar thing happened to me where I got halfway up the ladder and thought... Oh God, I think I need to reroute because what happened to me is I got that arrival fallacy thing. Oh yeah. Where you I was halfway up, but I but I wasn't feeling good about myself. So I was like, if I get to the top, yeah. I think I'm gonna feel worse. Have you had that? Have you had that arrival fallacy moment where actually you've ticked a major box and it just hasn't given you that feeling? Yeah, I think that, you know, I in my life before
1: doing what I do now, you know, I was I was really good at what I was doing. When you have a people pleaser and a perfectionist, you overdo it. So I basically like, I never, I think I missed a target once or something like that in the almost five years that I wow. was, I was there because I overdo it. Like even when I was sick, like I hid my illness and overcompensated for being unwell, like it was an inconvenience. And what I found is I would get the promotions, you know, the bonus. And You'd feel all right for about two seconds and then nothing. Um, and I do think part of that actually comes from perfectionism as well, where you literally, you don't internalize your accomplishments and achievements. And so things happen and it's like, yes, I got it. And then it's like, okay, well, the next thing. And then over the years, then since you're know, becoming self em- self employed working for myself, what was interesting is that when you first start out, you know the, you have the excitement, you like you made your first grand of like your business money, and then you've made ten grand more, and you keep making. And yeah, start to take that for granted a bit after a while. And then you also have, like, I was saying to you, you know before we were recording, like I've sold a lot of books, but I didn't internalize that. And I always thought you would feel a certain way. When you did that, but actually that turned out not to be true because the way that I was, I was, it just meant I was just chasing after something else. So I think that when, when, when we're not quite sure why we're on the ladder or part of us suspects that we're supposed to be doing something else, we do the things that's expected of us. Like the bot, like the boss expects us to go for the promotion and expects us to do more things, but we do the things, but don't understand why we don't like how we feel and it's only then when we really become connected to what we're doing like that's been a real game changer for me in terms of in terms of working for myself because I basically created a ladder Mm -hmm. for myself Uh, which is hilarious given that the whole reason why I wanted to work myself you know aside from feeling like I had this, this sense of mission and vision like I was like do you know what if I could help one person avoid what I've been through or I could help them get out of something, then I feel like I'm giving back. Because, you know, as I said, you know, I was sharing my experiences and blogging has been very good to me. Like people were just so supportive of me, but also people allowing me to share my inner world, my experiences, my observations. And I felt like, actually, I can give something back here. Obviously, I've helped a lot more than, you know, a couple of people. But what was interesting is I hated all the red tape of working in corporate Goldfish bowl meetings, meetings about meetings. You know, how many phone calls have you made? Going out to this thing, and that. so oh my gosh. And then I loved the freedom and flexibility. I loved just being able to be like, okay, I want to do this, and I go off and do it. And then gradually over time, I created a ladder, and it was like, okay, well, you self-publishing, and you're doing really well at that, but you need to have like the traditional publishing deal and you know you need the recognition of this person or that outlet or whatever it might be and that's when things started to become acutely
0: painful for me and so interesting because that's society's ladder that that is almost haunting you at that point saying well actually this is the ladder that you should be on whereas actually your own ladder was probably serving you quite well. Yeah,
1: it was like, uh, the thing as well about ladder, in order to go up a ladder, you have to climb. And so that climbing thing, when you are already, for instance, like me, where you're people pleasing and you have the perfectionism and stuff, very fine line, where you are pushing you and you're constantly feeling like you're not good enough in some way that you have to be proving yourself. Like something I've talked about quite a bit recently with work is that a lot of people have this, I have to prove myself. And I'm not saying that obviously we when we're working on something, we need, we need to demonstrate that we can do it. But there's a difference between that and an underlying sense of I'm not good enough. I'm not deserving enough. Or any second now, somebody's going to turn around and be like, what the hell are you doing this for? So I'm only as good as the last thing that I did. Because effectively, it means that every day is like pressing reset and mm-hmm. starting back at zero. And so I found that I was pushing me for the sake of pushing me. And that's where you start to suck the joy out of things oh my god that that speaks to me (laughs) yeah you're (laughs) just doing it It's like you're doing it for the sake of it's like and it's like but why am i am i doing this thing and that's where you can actually love what you do but actually suck the joy out of it because you're chasing the shiny things and you that's where you come away from yourself and you stop listening and you you
0: make decisions off the back of that decisions that you hate Mm -hmm. and it's interesting you know Growing older and and hopefully wiser, where I, my twenty something self was a real hustler, and I am grateful to that twenty something for hustling. But that doesn't suit me anymore. Yeah. I don't want to keep pushing. I can't work at that rate anymore. I get more tired. Mm-hmm. It sounds like I'm eighty, but you know what I mean. Like I can't. <laughs> I'm right there with put, you. Put as much in as she did. Like yeah. cool that you could work till midnight every night after your full time job. But like I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. And I've had to make peace. I think with. Feeling like I'm not going up the ladder fast enough when actually, whoever, who even made that rule? Like,
1: yeah, well, this, it's, it's, it's a whole made up thing. Like, that's, I think, the thing that after a while I started to have a sense of humor about it because I realized it's all made up. It's a hodgepodge of things that we've picked up along the way. And it's like, oh, I should do this and I must do this and people must do that. But it's like, well, what's the point in me? doing the things that I do. I, I'm somebody who actually enjoys dancing to the beat of my own drum. But my thing where I'm going to get caught out, and that's how the ladder steps in, is that once I think that there's established norms, established rules, a way to do things, suddenly switch off from my normal mode. And it's like, Oh, well, I, I have to do it that way. And so that's like, I went through a phase of being like, Oh, I, like, if I'm, I can't post on Instagram because you're supposed to have like it all aesthetically blah, blah, blah. And you have to post about this. And I thought, uh, I can't be bothered with all of this because it was again, it sucks the joy. And a lot of it is made up when people say, Oh, this is the way to do Instagram. Even Instagram isn't tired that that's the way to do Instagram. Mm. It's just, it's just a made up thing. We're constantly trying to make up
0: these paths and these ladders, and it's exhausting. That is so jarring, like you say, because if you're a creative person and if you're in on Instagram and you, you're someone that likes sharing and creating and trying new things and being innovative, is that that's at the very cost of following the algorithm? Like the algorithm yeah. doesn't like that, and then you feel like you're failing, and yeah. actually you're just being very creative. Yeah. But it's interesting what you just said at the beginning of this, that a ladder essentially is a way for us to control or feel like we're in control because mm-hmm. we're like, oh, yes, it's all planned out and here are our rungs and we are climbing it. And it's all obviously that's quite a false sense of security. I feel like I'm trying to make peace with not knowing at all where that ladder's going. It's like yeah. it's like the ladder's going up into some clouds and I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, what's up here? That's like, exactly I how I see it. I don't know what's up here. And what's interesting about your career, I mean, you have been doing this for a long time, as you said, so you've never really known really what's at the top of that ladder. Have you made peace with the whole like, I don't know what I'm doing in five years time thing? Yes, because
1: at the start of this, there was a lot of well, what's, what's your five year plan, your three year plan, your 10 year plan. And I always struggled with that. And for a time I went for a phase of going, well, maybe it's because like I have imposter syndrome. And I'm into, no, what it is, is that I actually don't think it's necessary for me to know exactly what I want to be doing in five years or 10 years time. I'm not even, I don't even think I need to necessarily be knowing what I want to be doing in exactly a year's time. I have a sense of it, but I, I am somebody who, like so many of us, really wants more control than is actually necessary. That is part of what people pleasing and perfectionism is about. It's you're trying to control the uncontrollable. you create these fake rules. If I do this and th- and do this and do this, then this is going to happen. And one of the pitfalls of this, particularly uh, not just in in when you're working for yourself, but even when you're working for a company, is that in your head, it's I do X, People will then do Y and Z will happen. When that does not happen and people don't do their Y and Z doesn't happen, what happens is you try to do more X. And so it's like, oh, I just need to push some more. Because we've decided, well, somebody told me that this is the way, this is the path, this is the ladder. This I have to be going after this. So we just keep pushing and pushing. And then after a while, when it's still not going our way, or we get there and we don't like how we feel, well, it's because I'm not good enough. Mm. Or we're angry with other people for like not doing things the way that we want them to do. So we really have to check in with ourselves about the lies that we're telling us about how things are. And we do it with we think there's a ladder for relationships. We think we think there's a ladder for everything. And I totally agree with you. Like I have the same sense of oh, decide like these clouds, and it has been revelatory for me to let go of this need to know how things are going to turn out. In fact, going through the whole, like in the past, like going down the route of the whole agents and you know trying to do the whole book deal thing, that broke me. And in the end, do you know what, in fact, what happened actually before that, that really taught me this lesson for work and in even though it was painful, made it easier with the book thing, is when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, that was like sort of June, 2016, and then, you know, several months later being told, you know, look, you know, it's, it's only got, you know, however long. And I went through this phase of being really like wanting to control everything and being really angry. So I was like, but when is he going to die? Like, is it going to be like next week, next month? How long has he got? And this went on for a while because it's all part of the process. And then it hit me. It felt like it was my inner voice, but almost outside of me. You know, like sometimes when you get it like that loud and it said, what difference will it make if you know? Wow. Like, if I knew what day he was going to go, what? how would I behave? And if I don't know, how will I behave? And when I heard that, it shifted everything for me. And I focused on enjoying Mm. the time I had left with him. So what was interesting is that that shifted into how I worked because I realized that I didn't need to know if and when I was going to get the book deal. Right. And that I don't need to know what's going to happen. In what, what, what difference would it make? Because if I knew it was going to happen, I'd probably be obsessing about it and stressing and altering the way that I'm doing my life now. And instead, what I have really leaned into is it's I, I've I know it's an overused word, but authenticity has been so powerful in what I do. Like doing things from that place of genuinely wanting to do it, doing it for me to help somebody else, not with an agenda. And that takes a lot of the angst out of it because then so many things have happened now that I did not foresee. But when I was very ladder focused and path focused, it was all about, oh, well, this has to happen and this has to happen. Now I'm way more chill. Does't mean I don't have anxiety because that's I am like I learned to be, controlling because of how I grew up. And when you you have chaos, you use things like people-pleasing and perfectionism and overgiving, all these things to control. And so, of course, I am unlearning these habits now. Work has really forced that mm-hmm. upon me. But now that experience has taught me that
0: there's great power and joy in not having to know everything. Wow, that's super powerful. I've never thought of it like that, but you're so right that if you really flip it on its head and think about it more deeply, there is a strange sort of blessing in not knowing. Like we can lean into that and almost really go go into it and find some sort of joy in it. Yeah. Well, the thing I always say to people is we don't wake up on our 18th birthday with
1: like a genie at the side of our bed, you know, this glowing manual, hello, welcome to adulthood. Here's what's going to happen. These are the relationships you're going to have. These are the people who are going to get on your last nerve, right? This is when you're going to meet your partner. This is when you're going to like move here, do this, do that. No, we have to figure it out as we go. The truth is, is that if we did have somebody come to us with this manual that basically laid out our life, the way that we are as humans, we would totally take oh, liberties.
0: I do not I would not want to know. Yeah. But would we do. I wouldn't want like to know. Like if someone was to tell you right now what your what the rest of your life would look like. You but the thing
1: is, I wouldn't want to know because what I've I've learned from doing the work that I do is we would take liberties. Because if if the manual said, Well, you're gonna meet your partner at whatever age, and this is it's like, oh, I am gonna get what I want. I'm gonna mash up my life, treat people badly, because at the end of the day I'm still gonna get what I want. Like that's what we would do. And we have to go. Through all the things that we need to unlearn. Cause I say adulthood is about unlearning all of the unproductive and harmful things that we've picked up along the way. And that in doing so, we become more of who we are. If people tell us exactly what's what, we just won't do that work.
0: It's funny with your example, because you've obviously just had this like amazing mega book deal. And actually, if you'd have known that was coming your way like 10 years ago, maybe you wouldn't have like done the things you wanted to do in the way you wanted to do them because you would be like, well, that's coming. That's coming. (laughs) Yeah, but
1: actually one of the things I said was if somebody said to me that it was going to take the best part of 17 years to get a book deal, bearing in mind that when I started blogging all those years ago, you literally heard stories about people starting a blog and two weeks later getting a book deal. And here I am almost 17 years later. If somebody said to me, it's going to take that long, I might have said, ah, Jesus, do you know what? I won't bother. I'll go and do something else. And so this is why you don't have that knowing. Because in the end, it's like as pleased as I am with that, it's not the definition of me. It's not the be all and end all. It's a it's when I say it's the culmination, it's it's actually happened at the right time. Different to the schedule that I had for myself. Very, very different. My mind was like, oh, it should happen like ages ago. But actually, I self-published, I've done lots and lots of things in that time, and it was absolutely the right thing to do. But at the time, we hate it. Mm-hmm. We don't like feeling out of control. And again, the people pleaser in us as well is, but I'm doing all the things. Like, my, my I was gone, but I've, I've been doing this for so long and I've sold all these books and I've done these courses and I've changed lives and la, 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 and I've been dedicated and I give so much. Well, why aren't I getting it back? And immediately that's where he catches up because you go, ah, oh, your why needs to change.
0: And also back to your point on luck, I think that the reason a ladder and a formula of a ladder is false is that, I mean, it it can breed resentment because you can think, well, if there's a formula, then why isn't it working out for me? You could think, well, (laughs) if it's that easy to get loads of Instagram followers, why do I not have them? Yeah, And actually the ladder is, there isn't just the same old ladder for everyone. No, there isn't. And and we're sold this
1: idea that that that's the way it is. But we know that that is not the case at all. And there are so many factors that can contribute to that. And it is hard at the time. Do not get me wrong. Like I have definitely had my moments and my times when the the ladder not existing, things not going my way. It has felt horrendous. I, I remember when my, not the current agents, but the one I had before that, like, so a couple of years ago. You know, said to me that my book proposal had not been successful, and that basically said, I don't know what I don't know what is, um, I just don't know what it is with you, but you're just not wanted here in in the UK. You know, it's like when you're going out with a fellow or or woman, and they say, um, it's it's um, you know you're a great girl and everything, you know, and I hope you find somebody, you know, at some mm-hmm. point. And and I remember coming off it, and I called my husband, and when he found, when he came up, he found me. I was on the floor. And he said he thought somebody had died. Mm -hmm. I was so like, I brought up all this weird like abandonment stuff, really, really weird triggerment, abandonment, rejection, because it was little bits of what I've been hearing since I was like, it just played into this. You're not good enough and you're not wanted. And then to go through that, I remember feeling relief. That's the funny thing is that Sometimes in our darkest moments, like when the ladder doesn't work out and we're like, oh my God, why was I made redundant? Or why didn't that deal work out? Or why did that client, whatever. There's also often, if we're willing to pay attention, there's a relief. And I noticed that pretty much almost immediately that it was like, I sighed and I went, great, now we can get back to being you.
0: Wow. That is so, I mean, obviously, you know, I've heard the full story. I and mean, to anyone listening, and you know, I, I don't know what will be in your book, but you write and communicate so amazingly on this subject. And it really speaks to, I think, everyone, even if they've had like a little morsel of this experience. Like this is just it's so powerful hearing you talk about it like that and be so open with it. But the thing is, is that one of the things that we have to understand
1: is no matter how hard we work, how loving, kind, generous, everything that we are, we are also going to experience disappointment, stress, conflict, criticism, rejection. And if we think that we can mitigate for all of that by just trying to be the energizer bunny and doing all the things and always saying the the
0: right things to people, it will break us. Exactly. And the reason why as well, I don't know why we got onto the topic of this actually, but we were messaging the other day on Instagram because yeah. I'd actually had a really weird Zoom call where I felt really rejected and really small and it brought up a lot of old emotions. And that's what's really interesting is I haven't read too much on it, but and to psychologists, who everyone, whoever might be listening might say it's wrong, but apparently when we are feeling an emotion, it's not actually a new emotion. It's a re trigger totally. of an old emotion. Totally. And I think that's what we were talking about is that when I was on that Zoom feeling rejected, and I'm someone I like to think I've kind of I'm I'm on my own ladder, feeling quite confident, feeling good about myself. But I was brought right back to, I don't know, my 16 year old self or yeah. something. And it was really strange how much I got I went back there straight away. And that's the the thing that I
1: say to people, and this is the thing I bang on about in pretty much every episode of the podcast and it's the theme right through my work, is that in any given situation where Somebody's getting on our last nerve where people are, things are not going our way. It's not that the thing is not as annoying as it is, that it's not as devastating as it is, but we wouldn't respond in the way that we are if there wasn't something in our past that's also coming up. And so, you know, our nervous system remembers everything and our subconscious has filed away our experiences. So when you're sitting there on that Zoom, and those people are saying those things, it pulls files. And it mm. it associates something that's happening there that partly, could be partly what you're feeling, but also maybe a bit of what you're thinking and hearing. And it's like, oh, let's pull the rejection files forward. Let's pull this forward. Let's pull that. This is happening for all of us. But a lot of us are not aware of this. I'd say the overwhelming majority of people are not aware of this. So when we... Feel this way in a situation, we have that lack of awareness that our past is coming up and then we just barrel on Mm -hmm. and we don't realize how that's affecting our decisions that we were thinking and feeling about ourselves. So the more that we can recognize this, like I've had those same feelings as you, like the one I've grappled with that really speaks to sort of my 13, 14, 15, 16 year old self is often feeling very sort of outsidery. Feeling excluded. The thing is, right? Like, I went to like an all-girls private Catholic convent school back home in Dublin because my parents were like, "Uh, you know, you're one of only a few black girls. You need to go to a private school. It's your own protection type of thing." But it's also I was the only black person at school for the entire time. One of the brown person, also the only Protestant (laughs) as well in the entire school. And as much as I had my pals and good and some good experiences, I think that I this constant feeling of being other the comments microaggressions because that's you know it's all part of growing up as as girls and then into women as well it's the sad truth but it is is what it is i think that i have found often in working for myself and sometimes where you see certain things happening and and you you do the same feelings come up and I've, i've had to work to overcome that force myself, let's say force, I don't mean that like in a horrible way, but like if I'd had my way, the introvert in me and also this part of me that's terrified of rejection and abandonment would have been like, yeah, don't do networking, which I think is like a terrible term for it, but but don't go to events, just hide ads, you know, stand by the food table, which I used to do or hide in the toilets, like fixing my face or something. But I forced myself to get out of my comfort zone and to talk to people but to really break through because otherwise I would
0: just keep reinforcing those messages from my teenage years. So powerful hearing you talk about the filing cabinet of our brains, because you're so right. It's it's like our brains trying to protect us by being yeah. like, oh, this happened before. What's our learnings? But actually you're just triggered again. And it, it really reminds me of like what you just said about the patterns, like almost happening again is I know people, I think there's a statistic that most people leave a job not because of the job, but because of the people they're working with. It's like the, the <laughs> politics, the bloody politics of work. And what I'm hearing from that is almost like, oh, my God, there's just this adult playground. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Amen. And society is just needs to like really look look at themselves in the mirror. Let's
1: do the testify dance on this one, because I've heard from so many people who are like on their knees with an issue in their work, and when I say to them, "Is that like okay?" It's the exploring of what's the baggage behind us. I say, "Where else have you felt, fought, or acted similarly? Like who else or what else does this remind you of?" And then they go, "Oh my god, this person reminds me of my passive-aggressive sister, or they remind me of my mother, or they remind me of my father, my old school bully, the teacher, whatever." And suddenly it clicks into place about why they find it so difficult to assert themselves or why they're so overwhelmed or why they're like, you know, kind of sucking up to this person all the time and they don't like how they feel around them, why they're suddenly so competitive, why they feel incompetent. Suddenly it all starts to make sense. And you're so right that, you know, work is like, we treat it like a, a, a giant sized replica of like our childhood, like school Home. And I just don't think that people realize that often when we're working with people, we engage with them as if they're our mom, dad, siblings, friends. And it's like, mate, that's bad boundaries. But we don't realize that that's what we're doing. Once we know it, it's easier to spot.
0: It's so true. The the boundaries around colleagues is something that I've found harder than boundaries with my own family. (laughs) Like, I can, because with my family, it's like quite clear cut, I think. Like, I can be really honest and I can be like, you know i can say no i can say no to people in my family if they're annoying me it's hard to do that in a professional sense i don't know why but i just find it really tricky i have become obsessed with work boundaries
1: and actually i think at the heart of it is that um we've been socialized to be obedient like parenting and school has been back in the day it was based on obedience and as a result we actually go into work and those same feelings of obedience come up. So people ask you to do stuff. And even though it might be completely nothing to do with you, you feel as if it's bad to say no, that you're disobeying, that you're going to, you know, set off retaliation. And it was fascinating talking to people about work boundaries over these last few months. And time and time again, fear of retaliation, fear of reputational damage, fear of getting into trouble. Like, the overwhelming majority of people mention this phrase getting into trouble. Oh my God,
0: it's so parent yeah. parent kid. It's yeah. very strange. And
1: and so the, the culture of work is like it's like we're in a codependent relationship of work. Yeah. Or not even like we are in a codependent relationship of work. And and the funny thing is is when you when you ask people about their work lives, whether they're working for themselves or working for somebody else, and you ask them why they're struggling to say no or to have limits. You know, to address certain situations, you realize that no matter the background, where they come from, how much money they're earning, whether they're part-time, full-time, the way that people work, you think that they were working in a sweatshop. That that, this like not allowing themselves to go for a wee, like that's a. Ever since I talked about like holding wees, skipping lunch, skipping dinners, skipping sleep, not hydrating chained to your desk for hours on end, well, you might as well be working in a sweatshop because that's the type of mentality that we have about work.
0: It's the culture of work. Oh my God, it's absolutely crazy. And when you you put it like that, it is like a self-made prison. It's like we have made it that way when actually it's like there's a bar open in the prison cell and we could literally (laughs) just go and walk out at any time. But we're choosing not to. And I do think that we're sort of conned into thinking that we have no choice when actually... There, there's a little crack of choice there. Yeah. But m- moving on to my last question, just because I think it's a really relevant topic to now, we're recording this in May 2021. And, you know, I don't want to make every episode about COVID, but at the same time, we've just been through like <laughs> the biggest global <laughs> historical moment that we'll probably ever go through. So that will have had a profound effect on us. We're kind of coming out of it slightly now. We're mm-hmm. reflecting maybe a bit, but we've got a lot more reflection to do. I know a lot of people who have like fallen off their career ladder during this time because of burnout, mm-hmm. majorly burn yeah. Burnout is a huge one, but also reevaluating their lives, reflecting on what they truly want, starting a side hustle during a furlough. If someone's on the floor, like with the rung just broken and they're like, I've got to rebuild this very first rung again. I mean any any advice on how someone can kind of pick themselves up during this time because so I think it's very hard to have left a job especially if that's like your whole identity.
1: Of course yeah and I think that we really have been conditioned and also conditioned ourselves to really have our identity sort of intertwined with work. And so and you know I was guilty of it. I remember realizing wow like I treat money and whether and and work in and of itself as if they're my parents. So when things are going well, I'm like, oh look, I'm pleasing. And then if things are a bit quieter, it sets off that feeling like, oh my god, I haven't done enough. Like I haven't pleased the parents enough. And we, I think that the pandemic has really appended everything because we have not had the same touch points that we had like. Before the pandemic, let's say we were working in an office, we didn't really want to kind of deal with our feelings, didn't want to deal with what was going on at home. We could just like immerse ourselves with that, head off to the gym, head off to wherever. The next thing you know, pandemic, and maybe you are now forced to work from home or you don't have work. And it forces you to really come face to face with who you think you are and who you actually are. and it. If you've been living your life following these rules and thinking, Oh, like this job is the most important thing to me. And I have to climb this ladder. And then you suddenly everything breaks down. I think that it puts an enormous strain on you because if you've, it's like paint by numbers. You're following the rules and now everything's broken down. But what does somebody who has been doing that? What are you supposed to do then? And so. It feels extremely rough at first. And it is hard to have the curiosity when actually you just sometimes feel crap. Mm -hmm. You feel exhausted. You feel demoralized. But at the same time, if you notice that actually that's how you feel, that's telling you something about your relationship with work. It's not telling you that you're a bad person. It's not telling you that you're not good enough. And there's nothing wrong with you for having felt this way. It's that you've been caught up in the system. You've been caught up in the culture. And it's like, of course, we're going to be upset if, for instance, we're made redundant or we lose our job or things are quiet. But should it break our self-esteem and our entire concept of us? You know, like when you're in a romantic relationship and you're like, yeah, you know, Uh, you know, I love this person, but you know, I know who I am. You break up on a relationship. (gasps) I can't survive. I can't breathe. I just don't know who I am anymore. This is telling us something. So it's an opportunity eventually, but not necessarily immediately because there's grieving. It's grieving who you thought you were and who you had to be. And then it's like, now there's an opportunity to rebuild your life in a way that's more like aligned with who you really are. Yeah. But, it is hard. And the I think that if, if you're finding it especially tough and it's kind of a bit of a funny way to phrase because we all have our kind of like gauge of that. But what can be very, very useful when it's kind of reached that point where it feels like really, really triggering and you're feeling really unsure is actually sitting down and talking to somebody. And yeah, sometimes that can be that really good like family member or 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 friend. But actually like for the first time. But other than a brief like a couple of sessions like when I was at uni, I actually went to see a therapist. I say went to see, I did it over Zoom. And that for me came about because again, I felt quite unsettled by the pandemic, but I was also going through this process of the book proposal and I, I, I felt like I almost had PTSD from my previous experiences. And so I wanted to talk about what was coming up for me about work rather than waiting until I'm completely like losing the plot. And do you know what? Even just on the first session alone, so much clicked into place for me. And it's when you start saying this stuff out loud rather than keeping it to yourself. That's when things start to shift. So if I could, don't keep it to yourself. Don't talk about it. Like the things that you shame you for are exactly the things that you need to talk about. I love that.
0: I love that. And that reminds me of the Brené Brown quote. I think it is where shame cannot exist with empathy. Well, exactly. It just literally, I think she describes it as like if shame was in a little Petri dish and you put a little pipette of empathy it would like disappear and I just think that there is a lot of shame around work and like what you just said is really powerful because if you're struggling at the moment with work and you feel like a a, a big change has happened in your life well of course it has because the world has changed and there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with you if you're going through major change right now and it's one of those things isn't it that like you know that you'll look back one day and be like wow that was like kind of incredible that i got through that yeah and you know i
1: the i often reference the hans christian Andersen um story is a uh, the emperor has no clothes on and a lot of life is like that so i think that a lot of what we are taught about work and even how the media works it's like we're, we're we're going, oh, look, it's got clothes on. And we're all supposed to go along with that. And it's like, but no, they don't have clothes on. And I feel like with what we're experiencing with work, where we're experiencing this shift and we're not quite sure what to do with ourselves, what we have to remember is this ladder, like, oh, this path, it doesn't actually exist. It's the emperor has no clothes on, you know, all over again. But also that, of course, we're going to have a crisis because we've been conditioned to believe if you don't have a job, First of all, that that means something terrible about you or if things are not going well, what did you do wrong? But also it's that, okay. well, your next thing is, is you have to find a box that you can go and climb into. Like you have to go and find the next path, the next ladder. And that's where we start to run into problems. It's like, actually, if we operate from this place of, again, going back to what we're saying, how do you want to feel and continue feeling? Think about your character. What are the things that matter to you? Choose from that place because then you can create type of work. I'm not saying necessarily self-employment. I'm saying that then it's a lot easier to choose the company and the job and the work you want to do because you're operating from who you are rather than this sort of false narrative. Oh
0: my God, that's great. You're so wise. Um, (laughs) I thought I would just mention quickly about uh, something about how do you think that we can create our new ladders more easily now in a world of tech and the tools that we have and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that... You, when you
1: have that access to, to, to technology, you know, you smarter technology that allows you to basically, and when I say work from wherever, I'm not talking about, you know, this sort of BS thing of, you know, where they say you're going to sit on a beach. In I mean, Bali. Uh, yeah. I mean, was <laughs> not to say I've never sat on a beach with a laptop, but that's not, it's it's not really how, you know, it is. But I think that it opens you up to different ways of working and, and actually figuring out a work pattern that really works for you, as opposed to slotting into somebody else's. And there are so many, tools, you know, those devices like, you know, Lenovo, you know, with their thinkpads as well, but it's the technology is really trying to align to you as opposed to making you align to it. And so you can start to figure out, well, how do I want to work and what are the best tools and, and devices to suit it rather than what do I slot into and,
0: and you know, Im, and let it impose itself on me. Exactly. I, I'm really noticing a lot of friends of mine at the moment who have kind of fallen off their c- career lab that was making them miserable. Like I'm seeing them sort of fall back in love with just sitting there and actually like being connected, like connecting with people on social media or making a website or making their own thing and I can see them getting spark back because it's like on their terms yeah and so that's quite an exciting thing at the moment where I think actually thank god we do have these tools I know that we take our laptops for granted but if you wanted to start your own business tomorrow like you can and Uh, I still that still blows my mind slightly yeah look what technology has done is
1: it's taken out a lot of the gatekeepers you know somebody saying oh you're allowed." To do this, you know, using me as an example, if I'd waited for a gatekeeper to turn around and say, okay, Natalie, you can now publish a book. Well, here we are, almost 17 years on. But I, through technology, was able to do that. And these were not things that we were able to do before. So it's broken down structures, it's challenged what we think we're able to do. We can actually create our own possibilities. And I'm not even saying that in a woo woo way. I'm saying that, like, literally, we can, like, pick up the tech find the tools and actually create the things that are inside our head and put that out into the world.
0: Love that. I just, no more gatekeepers, please. There's still some we need to crack down, but um, (laughs) we'll get there. We'll get there (laughs) eventually. Well, thank you so much for that. And to anyone listening, who's really enjoying hearing from Nat, because I'm just stepping inside her brain and lapping it up. Um, We have a next episode coming up, so make sure you listen to the next one. I hope you are enjoying this mini-series in partnership with Lenovo. This episode is one of three in a series with the brilliant Natalie Lou, So just a reminder to go and check out the other episodes if you enjoyed this one. Thank you so much for tuning